2: December 9th, I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The Biden administration struck a deal with Russia to free WNBA star Brittany Griner. In exchange for her freedom, the U.S. released arms dealer Victor Bout, who is known as the merchant of death. This caps a 10-month ordeal for Griner after she was arrested for possession of hash oil cartridges in Russia. Alex Ward national security reporter at Politico, joins us for what to know about her release and what happens to Paul Whelan, another American in Russian custody for espionage charges. Next, the chip manufacturing boom in the U.S. is just beginning. This week, President Biden toured a Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing company plant in Arizona that is tripling its investments to build new semiconductor chips. As the relationship between China, Taiwan, and the U.S. continues to be strained, we are rushing to build our own local supply. Matt Phillips, market correspondent at Axios, joins us for how the U.S. semiconductor industry is just started. Finally, more businesses are getting rid of their customer service reps you can reach by phone and increasingly offering options such as chat boxes to resolve issues. For many companies, it is cost prohibitive to maintain staff just to answer calls. Rachel Wolf, consumer trends reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for why connecting with a human is almost impossible. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
3: This is a day we've worked toward for a long time. We never stopped pushing for her release. It took painstaking and intense negotiations, and I want to thank all the hardworking public servants across my administration who worked tirelessly to secure her release.
2: Joining us now is Alex Ward, national security reporter at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Thanks for having me. Well, on Thursday, we saw Russia-free WNBA star Britney Griner. This was a high-profile prisoner exchange. On our side, we released the Russian arms dealer, Victor Bout. He's known as the merchant of death for the arms dealing that he was doing. The administration has been working on this for some time, like some 10 months, that they've been trying to get this deal done. And uh, finally, they were able to bring Britney Griner home. Alex, tell us what we know about what happened with this.
4: So as you rightly noted, this has been really going on, uh, these negotiations, since Greiner was detained in February for having you know, hash oil in her bag at a Moscow airport. And what they've been really trying to do, they being the Biden administration, was trade effectively two Americans, Greiner and Paul Whelan, a former Marine who has been detained in Russia for four years, unproven charges of espionage. In exchange for Victor Bout, who, as you said, was a virgin of death, and he has been charged in the U.S. with trying to kill Americans, as well as aiding the Taliban in Afghanistan, recruiting child soldiers, mutilation, etc. I mean, not a, not a great deal. But the Russians pushed back on this two-for-one deal, saying it really needed to be Greiner for boot. The decision basically came to Biden the last couple of weeks, saying, look, the Russians, this is where the Russians are. They will not budge from this. It's basically either Greiner comes home, or no one comes home. And Biden decided to make the decision to do the one for one deal, grant clemency to boot, who was going to be in prison until uh, 2029 and make this deal in the UAE where they were exchanged at a, in Abu Dhabi. So that's sort of what happened here. And that's why Brittany Griner, as we speak at this moment, flying back to the United States.
2: And the difficult decision that went into this, right? What are people saying, you know, is this a lopsided deal? Because as you mentioned, you you detailed Bout and all the stuff that he was done known as the merchant of death. Uh, you know, uh, Brittany Griner, obviously uh, a basketball star, but we had this whole thing that happened with uh, Russia and Ukraine. There was, uh, you know, saying that she was a political pawn. Uh, you know, what are people saying about the deal that was made?
4: Well, I mean, there is a bit of concern because, look, I mean, there are many people who are saying it is a basketball star in exchange for an extremely prominent and likely dangerous man. They are not equivalent, right? And so because of that, there is concern that maybe the U.S. gave up too much in exchange for Griner, as just as her cause may be. And, of course, it is not only the Biden administration, but any administration's policy to work as diligently and as hard as possible to bring any American wrongfully detained abroad home. And so you have to imagine the Biden administration had a a tough decision to make to try to call Russia's bluff. Is it possible, you know, that if we decide to keep Brittany in Russia, could we get Greiner and Whelan for a boot down the line? The administration decided not to take that risk. They decided to do the deal on the table, which was one for one. But now you see the administration not really speaking to legitimate questions about what are the security concerns? Now that boot is freed. All you really heard Kareem Jean-Pierre, the White House Press Secretary, say is Biden considered the security risks and did not take the decision lightly, indicating that there are some security risks now that boot is freed. But we're just not clear what those may be.
2: As far as uh, Paul Whelan, what we're hearing, you know, his family did speak out. They said it sucks that he couldn't come home, too, but it still was the right decision.
4: Yes, but you also have heard from Paul Whelan himself say, you know, why am I still sitting here? So he is angry. And I talked to Elizabeth uh, Whelan, his sister, who said, look, he's just trying to be remembered. You know, who wouldn't be upset? And we have to remember that in April, the U.S. was able to release Trevor Reed, another former Marine, but did not bring Paul Whelan home. So that's now twice this year that another American hostage in Russia has come home. But mm-hmm. Paul Whelan has stayed in prison. And so he's, he's naturally asking, you know, why not me? <laughs> you know, yeah, why am I? still here and so yes you know when you talk to the Whelan family they will say of course you know are we happy about Brittany being returned of course every you know every American should be returned home but they are understandably upset and as is Paul understandably upset um that Paul Whelan still remains in a Russian prison cell.
2: the situations were obviously different Brittany Greiner had drugs on her she the these uh hash oil cartridges Paul Whelan's in there for espionage that's what they uh, they got him on and obviously he you know he's saying hey I was this is completely untrue, all that. So obviously the situations are different. Do we have any indication of what Russia wants for Paul Whelan now?
4: Well, we've heard that they would like a Russian who is currently detained in Germany, who is there charged with killing a a Georgian citizen in 2019. There's also been talk that the Russians would like the U.S. to hand over a a Russian spy to them, but the U.S. says it is not. he does not detain one. Uh, There is not one to give. So, you know, it's unclear if maybe the U.S. was talking to Germany and the Germans didn't want to give up that Russian, or the U.S. isn't being forthright, or there really isn't someone to trade. But this is sort of complicating the issue, right? Because there were a lot of people that were saying the price should be very high for Boone. It should be Greiner and Whelan. The fact that Greiner's, you know, no longer on the table, that she's, you know, gratefully and and rightfully coming home, you know, that, that makes it harder, very likely, to bring Paul Whelan home. It's unclear what else the U.S. could give. At this point, Uh, there may be some other deal they're working on. I mean, Paul Whelan's lawyer in in Russia seems pretty optimistic that there might be a deal down the line. Uh, Elizabeth Whelan, again, Paul's sister, told me that the way that the Russians were providing Paul a phone to call his family in the morning, which is a rare time, the access to U.S. officials gave her the sense that maybe the Russians are trying to loosen up a little bit on Paul. But that, of course, remains to be seen. It is completely unclear. They could just be more open now because, of course, there was a big deal just made.
2: Alex Ward, national security reporter at Politico, thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely.
0: What's happening now is a bit more concern less about sort of access to any chips and more concern about specifically relying on a small country like taiwan that is increasingly imperiled by china joining us now is matt
2: phillips markets correspondent at axios thanks for joining us matt thanks for having me let's talk about the u.s chip industry right now and how the boom is just going to be getting started right now. So we uh, obviously know what happened throughout the pandemic. We saw semiconductors and computer chips just really lacking, uh, setting us back with new car construction and a whole host of industries. And, uh, you know, we saw a a growing need to kind of do it for ourselves here in the United States. We were getting a a ton of chips from Taiwan. I think they, uh, you know, one of the companies there manufactures over half of the world's chips. and. We said hey we need to get this done over here so this week we saw president biden travel to arizona to one of these chip companies as they kind of kicked off this plant and and really just uh increased the manufacturing of this stuff so uh, what are we seeing with all this matt
0: there's kind of two separate things that we're seeing we all remember the shortages of chips that we saw after the COVID reopening began and it became so expensive to try to find cars and spiraled into a whole bunch of other products. So that's one thing that's a bit more of an inconvenience Mm -hmm. type issue. What's going on in Arizona is really interesting because that's a bit more strategic. It's a bit less about having an easy, steady supply of relatively low value chips to put in things like cars. It's more about the really high end cutting edge chips that we rely on for technologies that are really important for cell phones, but also for national security applications. So what's happening now is a bit more concern, less about sort of access to any chips and more concern about specifically relying on a small country like Taiwan that is increasingly imperiled by China. Like that's kind of what's going on with this one
2: yeah and tell us a little bit more about that front right now because we do get a lot of chips from Taiwan but we're seeing the tensions that are happening between China and Taiwan even and uh you know we don't want to get uh, kind of lost in the shuffle there
0: that's right you know we're living in an interesting time where really since the end of the Cold War the assumptions that global business leaders operated with were that goods people capital could all largely flow across borders relatively easily. War was kind of a thing of the past of the 20th century, and we could basically all put that behind us and focus on building these really sprawling networks of supply chains all around the world that could deliver really, really high-end products at a really low price that kind of era is increasingly looking like it's over between the war in Ukraine with Russia's invasion and the really extreme response that we saw to Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, where China was really for the first time doing exercises about how to enforce a blockade of Taiwan. It's really not lost on business leaders and political leaders that we really need to have access to some of these super high end chips, you know, within the United States, you know, within our own control, because as we've seen, like Germany built its entire economy around having a relatively steady flow of access to Russian natural gas. Now that's over, you know, and they can, and the economy is really struggling to figure out how to adjust to that. So we're trying to ma- not to make those kind of strategic missteps and that's a big part of what's going on
2: and it was interesting when we saw president biden traveling to arizona earlier in the week they said hey why are you traveling to a border state without actually visiting the border and he said something you know we got other big things to do there and so this was what that trip was tell us a little bit about what they're going to be doing there in arizona they're going to be creating a lot of jobs and then obviously what we're talking about you know uh, hopefully uh creating a lot of these uh high value chips that we need
0: The actual plant that he was visiting is being opened by Taiwan Semiconductor. They're arguably the biggest producer of chips in the world. They have about 50% of the share of what's called foundry uh, business. That's essentially contract chip making for other companies. And they produce some of the world's most sophisticated chips. And previously, we relied on their operations in Taiwan. And as we said before, that's looking like that island of 23 million people next to this 1.4 billion population behemoth is looking increasingly imperiled. So the government passed this act in August. Biden signed it into law. It's called the Chips and Science Act. And that includes about $50 billion in subsidies to try to coax these chip manufacturing plants to build new plants all around the US. And that's really been happening. A couple in Arizona, actually, Taiwan Semiconductor basically tripled the size of their original investment that they announced um, yesterday. So they're going to be spending about $40 billion there. Samsung, which is a big Korean chip maker, they're talking about maybe spending $200 billion building out there basically chip making enterprise in near in and around austin texas area so i mean it's it's really a huge amount of business that it could you know go into the u.s economy it's
2: great news it's jobs that will stay here but uh and you made the mention at the end of the article too it's still going to take a long time to kind of ramp that up so while it's great that we're doing it now really that shift in balance is going to happen for some time as you need to build out these things really get things rolling
0: yeah, for sure. And it it requires a lot of highly trained people. So people have to be trained up. I mean, literally, we make zero of these kinds of chips in the United States right now. So they're going to have to bring in a lot of people from Taiwan to train Americans on how to make these things, how to operate the machinery, how to install the machinery. So it's a huge long-term investment, but hopefully one that will result in steady jobs and uh, economic and national security.
2: Matt Phillips, markets correspondent at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us.
0: Thanks so much for having me. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Class is in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.
3: Not everybody is comfortable with an online tool. It's not great for everything. And so, you know, there are about 50% of consumers that have said that they've run into issues not being able to find a phone number, not being able to get in touch with a real person at a company over the past year.
2: Joining us now is Rachel Wolf, consumer trends reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. Let's talk about customer service and how important it is. Obviously, you know when businesses are interacting with customers a lot of them pride themselves on great customer service as consumers we really very much appreciate that but what we're starting to see is that it's uh, a lot of businesses are starting to make their phone numbers a lot harder to find or getting rid of them altogether. uh, where you can once you know call a company call a business and and get something taken care of a lot of them are switching over to chat bots they're uh, switching over to other virtual systems And sometimes it's not the easiest thing to communicate through. So, Rachel, what are we seeing with this?
3: Yeah, you know, you're exactly right that a lot of companies are moving to take down their phone numbers, hide them on their website and just generally make it a lot more difficult to get in touch with a real person on the other end.
2: Yeah. And we're seeing places like Frontier Airlines, Breeze Airways, the reservation platform, Resi, Facebook. A lot of these places have done away with those phone numbers. So what is the reasoning behind that? What are they looking to do with it?
3: You know, it's a labor calculation. It's all about the money as always, but it's expensive to have people manning the phones and answering every little customer request that comes up. Some data shows that somebody can respond to three people at once on a chat who's uh, on the other side of a chat box versus obviously can only talk to one person at once on the phone. And so it's a cost saving.
2: There was a morning consult poll that they conducted for for the Wall Street Journal, saying about half of the respondents said that I guess they they're they're not completely sold on just kind of this digital only help. They, you know, most of them do want somebody to be able to communicate with.
3: Totally. People still like talking to somebody else on the phone. Sometimes it really is just the fastest, most convenient way to get something done. Not in a hundred percent of cases, you know, when an online tool works, it really works. But, you know, ideally, I think companies recognize that you've got to offer both and meet customers where they're at. Not everybody is comfortable with an online tool. It's not Great for everything, and so you know there are about fifty percent of consumers that have said that they've run into issues, not being able to find a phone number, not being able to get in touch with a real person at a company over the past year.
2: Restaurants, in particular, are one of those things we you mentioned earlier, right? It's about those cost calculations and headcount. A lot of times, restaurants, in particular. And we've talked about it before coming out of the pandemic and still struggling with hiring workers, you know, they said, you know, we can't have somebody just manning a phone all day taking reservations, we need them busy doing other things. So in this particular case, I found it very easy to make a lot of online reservations. But, you know, when you need to talk to somebody smooth something over find some alternatives, that's kind of where the difficulty lies when you're dealing with restaurants
3: exactly and you know I spoke to a great restaurant owner who explained it really well and you know what they're doing is they say you can only make a reservation online for the month of December you can still call for something else like if you're trying to plan a party or if you have a food allergy but if you're looking to change a reservation or make a reservation you have to use the online reservation systems and the owner said you know we would love to be able to also offer it on the phone but you know we could staff an entire call center and we can't <laughs> right. you know being dramatic of course but we and be able to keep up with demand. The phone is just ringing off the hook. And, you know, we just, we can't. Make, he was the one who said we can't pay somebody just to answer yeah. the phone. I, he already has a staff of 200. He's <laughs> paying a lot of people to do a lot of different right. things. But it shows it's not easy for businesses either.
2: And, and to the point of all this, customer service is so important. And if it doesn't go right, you know, those consumers are going <laughs> to uh, maybe not do business with you. You did speak to totally. somebody who tried to fix something with an airline for her mom and it didn't really go well. They couldn't really get it. I think they ended up fixing it on Facebook Messenger or something. And they said, you know, this is going to make us not fly with that airline for some time just because of how bad that situation was.
3: Exactly. Yes. She was dealing with it for five hours and it was a family emergency that had come up and needed to change a flight. And she just needed to talk to somebody. And Frontier last month announced that they would no longer be offering phone service at all. Wow. Uh, so <laughs> it's pretty dramatic. Um, and, you know, in this in this instance, it was pretty frustrating for this consumer.
2: Rachel Wolf, Consumer Trends Reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dives is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez. And this was your Daily Dive.